Thank you so much. It's great to be with you back at King's. It's always a joy to be in this setting, such a worshipping people, on the move, serving God, making Jesus known in this part of London. It's a great, great joy to be here. So thanks for your warm welcome. I appreciate it very much. I'm going to speak to you this evening from the book of Jonah. Okay, so I'm going to read to you the first chapter. It's a short chapter, uh, and we're going to look at that together. Uh, you won't need to find it necessarily because I'm reading from the NASB, which may differ here and there if you're using an inferior translation. Okay. <laughs> Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we won't perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, Let's cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that it's on account of me that this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they, they picked up Jonah threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Lord, we just love singing your praise. We love gathering in your name. Father, we we, we love the splendor of the king, just to dwell on your majesty, to consider, Lord, you the lion and the lamb, the one who conquered, 
through humbling himself. And Jesus, we worship you together. And Lord, we thank you too for your word and we thank you, Father, for the promise that you'll give the Spirit to those who ask. And so, Father, we ask you right now, let the Holy Spirit, please, rest upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, right now, rest upon us. Be our teacher. We don't just want to hear a man speak. We love it when we feel your nearness and we know you're speaking to us. So, Father, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jonah must be one of the most famous books in the Bible, but also one of the most peculiar and uh, difficult to even comprehend that a man should be swallowed by a fish, that ultimately a whole city should repent, uh, that a plant should grow up and then fall away and think, hey, come on, uh, is, this, is this authentic? Is this a real thing? And some have even said, actually, it's kind of a parable because the nation of Israel lost its way. They, they stopped being what God called them to be and they were swallowed up by Babylon for a season of time and then, and then spat out again. And, uh, and this is kind of an image of that. Well, it doesn't really stand up because Jesus referred to Jonah in the same way that he referred to the Queen of Sheba, who's a clear historic figure. He, he spoke of her and then he spoke of Jonah. And uh, we'll come back to later that way in which he spoke about Jonah. Yes, Jonah's a historic figure. In fact, you can hear, read about him in other biblical places. So, for instance, 2 Kings 14, we read that under Jeroboam's reign, the nation had experienced blessing, economic success, the uh, enlarging of their borders in a way that you'd only expect when there's blessing in the nation. But this was a backslidden king. And Jonah had promised that there would be blessing. And you read in 2 Kings 14, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who's in Gathifa. So here he is, he's a historic guy. He is a prophet of God. Now it's good maybe to stop for a moment and say, what do we mean by a prophet? Because it's possible for us to think of people called prophets. I've just read uh, Boris's book on Churchill. I loved it. And Churchill's often think, thought of as a, a prophetic man. He spoke. And, and what is it about some of these characters? Mandela. Have you read his Long Walk to Freedom? Tremendous book. I read a book of uh, the story of Lincoln last year. Some of these guys who stand out against their generation... They seem to be saying the opposite to other people. They're ultimately vindicated. They've got courage. They seem to have foresight. They seem like a voice. And, and Churchill, Mandela, Lincoln, other people, hey, they must be prophets. Well, not really. Not in the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, a prophet is someone that God speaks to and speaks through. Not just a bright guy who, I mean, Churchill said that he was a great student of history. He studied history seriously. And, and he said this, the further you look back in history, the further you can see forward. So he's a, he's a man who studies what's happening. He can see nations. He, he was understanding something of it. A Bible prophet is different. A Bible prophet, yeah, he's an authentic one. It says here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's a Bible prophet. 
It's a guy that God just gets hold of and makes a vehicle, a channel for him to speak through. So when you hear a prophet, you're hearing God. It's not just a bright man who's seeing something. Sometimes these guys are pretty reluctant. Jeremiah said, I don't want to speak anymore. When I speak, I get in trouble. No, I don't want to hear anymore. And uh, uh, Amos, they said, hey, if you're a professional prophet, go and prophesy somebody else. And he said, no, 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 I'm a farmer, but God spoke to me. And I'm speaking to you. So Bible prophets have this about them, that they, they hear from God. They're God's mouthpiece. And so Jonah, yeah, he's, he's an authentic prophet. The word of the Lord comes to him. He represents God to people. So here we have Jonah, and he's an authentic prophet, but you have to say he's probably a backslidden prophet. You think about it, the word he had before was, hey, the borders will be extended. God's going to bless this generation. And yet, it was a wicked king. So he got off light. When Elijah had a wicked king, he had to confront him. Go to Ahab, say to him. Jonah just says, it's going to be blessing, and there is blessing, the king doesn't have to repent. Hey, it's pretty easy being a prophet. And then suddenly, the word of the Lord comes to him, and it's very uncomfortable. It's not what he wants to hear. Go to Nineveh. No, he's got no appetite to do that. He doesn't want to do that. He's not interested in doing that. And so this word is met with a problem in this guy. And it's other ways in which this book's different to the others. If you look at Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, you turn page after page after page, and it's all prophesying. God says this and this and this. This story, Jonah has eight words. That's all he prophesies, eight words. So actually, it's like the book is a prophetic story. It's not only God's mercy on Nineveh, it's God's mercy on Jonah. Because it says, God says, go this way, and he arose and went the other way. And it doesn't say next. So the Lord said to Amos, come and do this job. Goodbye, Jonah. Uh, you know, I'll get someone else to do it. It doesn't say that. And there's something about this, dear friends, that is so encouraging for us. That God not only has compassion on the people he wants to reach, he's got compassion on his servants. He really cares about you and me. He doesn't just want us to get a job done. He cares about us. He wants us to fulfill his purpose. He, he values his servants. And so he begins to go after this guy as the story tells. It's not the end of the story when he walks out. God's a God of massive compassion. When Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory, show me your glory, God says, well, look, you just hide. And then he says, the Lord, the Lord. What's the next word? Compassionate. It's like, this is the first thing you need to know about me. I'm compassionate. And God's compassionate about Nineveh. And God's compassionate about Jonah. And because he's compassionate with him, this guy's going into trouble. Because God is after him. And God wants to show mercy to him. And so the story takes its course. We find that he, instead of doing what God calls him to do, and missing the point. Remember when God spoke to Abraham, and said to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says Abraham was a prophet. And he pleads with God, oh, don't do it, Lord, don't do it. And he begins to argue with God. If you find 50 righteous, if you find 10 righteous, I mean, he's, he's appealing to God. Moses is similar. God says to Moses, I'm going to judge them all. And Moses, no, don't let it happen. I mean, these prophets, they are also men of prayer. 
They're men who kind of understand God's heart. They, they have a kind of intimacy with God when, when God says, I'm going to judge him. Don't do it, Lord. Your great name. Jonah's got none of that. He doesn't feel anything for these guys. He really is not doing well. And we read that he goes away from the presence of the Lord. Now that's a funny phrase, isn't it? If you know the Bible, that's a very funny phrase. He went away from the presence of the Lord. I mean, how do you do that? How do you go away from the presence of the Lord? When it says in the Bible, where can I flee from your presence? And it says this, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. It's like, where can you go to avoid God? God's everywhere. God sees all things. God is omnipresent. And, uh, well, he went away from the presence. How did he do that? Well, the word, for pre- the word for presence in Hebrew is the same word for face. Face. And it's like Jonah went from that face-to-face fellowship that as a prophet he could know. That was the privilege of prophets. They, they, they have fellowship from God. They hear God. They speak to God. God speaks to them. Moses would be the most obvious illustration. We're told that Moses went into the, the, the tent of meeting. It says all Israel stood at their tents. Moses walked through the camp. He went to the tent of meeting. He disappeared into the tent of meeting. The glory cloud came on the tent. And then he came out again with his face shining. And God had been speaking to him. So Jonah, the prophet, should have been in face-to-face fellowship. But he wasn't. He went away from that intimacy. He went away from that privilege of being in the presence of the Lord. He would no longer have that authenticity about him. He's no longer really speaking for God. That's a tragedy. He no longer can be a functioning prophet because, well, a prophet needs to be face-to-face with God. It's not going to work anymore. Now, beloved, this is relevant to us, not because it's a funny old story, but because the Bible says this. In the last days, it won't be just one prophet, like Jonah, or one or two, Amos, Samuel. You know, in your generation, Samuel's the prophet. You know, he comes, it says he did a tour around the nation. You may have been in town when he turned up. Did you hear Samuel? No, I missed him. Oh, maybe he'll be back next year. You know, it's pretty rare. Elijah, wow, the man of God. It's pretty rare to have a prophet in that time. In our generation, it says this, Joel said, in the last days, which is what we're in, biblically, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. It's like prophesying is going to be just the norm. Acts 19, it says the Spirit fell upon a dozen guys they are freshly converted. They speak in tongues and start prophesying. Because that's the mark of the New Testament people, prophesying. It says about Philip, he had Philip the evangelist, tells us in the book of Acts, he had four daughters who prophesied. Imagine what breakfast was like in that house. <laughs> I mean, prophesying is very common. You can all prophesy, Paul says. In fact, it says in the New Covenant, which is what we're in, each one shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Not from the greatest to the least. Each one will know me from the least to the greatest. We all have this prophetic access. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. 
So we, we can all stand on this ground. We're people who know what it is to be in the presence of the Lord. To hear from God, for God to speak to us, for, for you to come out of your morning having been with God, maybe in your Bible, and you just know God spoke to you. How many times we've talked to one another, oh, the Lord said this to me, the Lord said, hey, what a privilege is this? That we're a people that God speaks to. A people that God makes himself known to. And the great weight, dear friends, of the prophet in the Bible was this. Because they came from the presence of the Lord, that terrific authority. Church where I'm at home, I'm doing a series on Moses. I spoke this morning on Moses. We've been going week by week when I'm there, looking at the story of Moses. And it's fascinating, isn't it? And you know, when Moses first meets Pharaoh, he, he goes, had an encounter with God, this phenomenal thing, a burning bush, and God speaking to him, and so on. And he goes to, Moses, he goes to Pharaoh and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Clear off. It's like Pharaoh's up here and Moses is down here somewhere. He says, who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord. Get out of here. And, and Moses goes back to God. Hey, God, he didn't take any notice of me. He talks to God. And God says, go back and say this. Goes back. Thus says the Lord. And, and what happens as you watch this, you go through this series of conversations and encounters and gradually what you see is this. Pharaoh comes down, 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 down. And Moses goes up, 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 up. And in the end, Pharaoh says, go, please go, and please bless me before you go. What was happening? Well, this guy keeps going back to the presence of the Lord. Then he comes back to Pharaoh. So when he speaks, he speaks like God's speaking to me. Pharaoh begins to understand, this isn't just an ordinary guy. When he speaks, God's speaking. Beloved, that's what the church is meant to look like. That's what the church is meant to be like. We have a prime minister who says, come on church, catch up, 21st century, change your views on marriage, change your views on this, change. come on church, 21st century, change your style. It's change, change. The church is still waiting, the world is still waiting. The world's waiting to see a church that looks like it's coming from the presence of God. Looks like they bow to another authority. But what is it about these people? They're not just taking a poll. What would people like to hear? Oh, that. Okay, we'll say that. No, they go back into the presence of God. It says about Elijah, he, he went to Ahab. He said, it won't rain till I say so. And then he has a confrontation. Then he comes back and says, the God before whom I stand says this. It's like, you hear me, you hear God. And beloved, we don't have to be in people's faces like that. We don't have to say, thus says the Lord. But at the school gate, at the office, at the coffee place, you know, when we bump into people and opinions are being expressed, there should be something about us that's kind of prophetic. We come from the presence of the Lord. There's something that's a bit unyielding about us. We don't have to be unpleasant, but we, we say, no, look, listen, this is what we feel. This is what God says. This has always been the way. This is God's truth. That's the mark of a prophetic community. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what we are called to be, a prophetic voice. A prophetic voice that when, when the church speaks, wow, that's what the church thinks. That's what the church thinks. This last week we've had the, 
real embarrassment of a self-confessed atheistic homosexual guy, Matthew Paris, a brilliant writer, saying, what's up with the church? The church keeps changing its ground and telling us off. Though he says he doesn't even believe in the God that we worship. He says, you keep changing your ground. No, the, the true prophet comes from the presence of the Lord. Now, why didn't Jonah come from the presence of the Lord? Well, he went from the presence of the Lord because the Lord said to him something he didn't want to hear. Go and do this. I don't want to do that. And so, dear friends, we're in that world because God says all sorts of things to us, actually. From the least to the greatest, my sheep hear my voice. And he says all sorts of things to us. I want you to befriend that refugee. I want you to take seriously the gift day. I want you to raise your children biblically. I want you to cherish your wife like Christ cherishes the church. I want you to honour your husband. Hey, come on, Lord, 21st century. Who honours their husband? Come on. Now I want, this is my word. It's also God's giving us words. And what can happen to us is whenever God says something to us, and we know he's spoken, I mean, he just speaks to us. We can make choices. Jonah made a choice. He went away from the presence of the Lord and he lost his authenticity. He lost his authority because he wasn't there anymore. That's how prophets work. They're in the presence of the Lord. And so we find here, he, he went from the presence. That's what it means. He went away. Now, we know the story of the uh, prodigal son, and it's a bit like Jonah. There comes a turning point in the story of Jonah. There comes a turning point in the story of the prodigal son, which says he came to himself. When the money ran out and the alternatives had gone, he came to himself. It's all just himself left. Wonderful, wonderful thing when you come to yourself suddenly you find reality. And that's what happened to Jonah. We'll come to that in a moment. I'm a Hebrew. Hey, I'm coming to reality. What am I doing? But actually, Jesus told the story of the prodigal not to prodigals. He told it to Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't like the fact that Jesus mixed with, ate with sinners. Call yourself a rabbi. What are you doing with that lot? He offended their religious preferences. What are you doing? You're a rabbi. You're eating with these people. We wouldn't be anywhere near them. And so Jesus, in that context, you read the story, in that context he told the story of the prodigal son. And do you remember the story of the prodigal son had two sons? One who goes away and squanders and comes back. The other one who hasn't gone anywhere. And the other one who hasn't gone anywhere is a bit like the Pharisees. Because he's the one who says to his father, what are you doing giving him a party? What are you doing giving him the best robe? What are you doing? And then he says to his father, this son of yours, doesn't say my brother, this son of yours, he's squandered your money. I've done nothing like that. I've never left home. And you've never given me a party. And the father says, oh son, all I've got is yours. You're always with me. What I'm saying is Jesus told this story actually to wake up Pharisees who've never been anywhere. It's possible for us to hear the story of the prodigal and think, oh, I've never done that. But you can be at home 
but not in the presence of the Father. You could not know the Father's heart. The older brother really didn't know the Father. You don't have to go away to miss the Father. You can miss the Father, stay at home. You can be at church every week and not really know the Father, not really fellowship with him. So let's not say, well, this isn't for me. God wants our hearts. Maybe that tonight God's brought me over here to bring this word because lately you've been drifting. may not have been as radical as Jonah, just saying, I'm going the other way. But you know it's not like it used to be. You've drifted from fellowship with him. And God wants you back tonight. He wants to call you back. Will you come back tonight? Okay, That's what he's talking about here tonight. He went from the presence of the Lord. And then it says this, he found a ship. Alright, so he found a ship. He went down to Tarshish. And uh, what do you know? There's a ship. I bet he went down to the, to the harbour. He wanted to go to Tarshish. And, oh joy, there's a ship going to Tarshish. I mean, what, it's proof, it's all right, it's guidance. I've been, in, I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know this, that when you go away from the presence of the Lord, whatever turns up seems right. You know, you meet people, you say, well, what are you doing? Well, we just got together, I know. We found we're always meeting at the workplace, and I kept bumping into her. But what about your wife? Wow, we were thrown together. It's like it happened to us. I think God did it. People talk like that. They say, well, it happened, just happened, just came along. Like I, say, I want to go to Tarshish. There's a ship going to Tarshish. See, Satan's got a fleet of ships going to Tarshish. <laughs> he can easily throw things across your path. He just gets off. He's lost the way. He's just whatever turns up. He's now going with circumstances. And then he gets into the boat and he says he fell asleep. Went down into the boat, he fell asleep. There's something about that phrase in the story, I think. I mean, there's nothing wrong with sleep. Uh, I've just been away and come back again, jet lag and all that. Sleep's a good thing. When you get sleep, praise God for sleep. And it says he gives his beloved sleep. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with sleep. In fact, God's made day and night. God's built in sleep. God's built in Sabbath. It's his, he's happy with rest. There's nothing wrong with rest. Jesus fell asleep in a storm, in a boat. He's exhausted. Nothing wrong with it. But you get the sense with Jonah, he isn't exhausted, he's bored. There's a kind of sleep that says, ah, I'm not interested. I've switched off. There's that kind of sleep. A sleep that just is, count me out of it. And that can happen to us, dear friends. We can get sleepy. It kind of drifts over us. Do you know this? You can even be very busy and bored. You can just switch off. Not really engaged, just doing it. And Jonah's just given up. He's just fallen asleep. He's really missed the way. He's really lost out. And that can happen to you, that can happen to me. It's like, it's like might be saying, next week, we've got the gift over here. There's prayer meetings, Wednesday night, get to the prayer meeting. Ah, prayer meeting, I had a busy day. Oh, I see you're asleep. Oh, a small group, get involved in a small group. Oh, come on, I go Sunday. Oh, I see you're asleep. You're not really in the battle. You're not engaging. Wow, it's difficult. Yeah, I know. 
we're not engaging. This guy, Jonah, is not engaging anymore. He's just going with the boat. God wants us alive and awake. God's looking for us to be not asleep, not losing the plot, not that kind of dejection that leads to depression and ah. Sleep can creep up on you, a sleepy attitude can creep up on you. He fell asleep. You know, there's something on television, come on. I mean, what turns you on? Where'd you get your kicks? He'd really lost the way. And then he completely failed in the storm. Suddenly his world is in a storm. Suddenly everybody's in danger. I mean, the whole boat is in danger. And he's asleep. Suddenly there's a crisis for the world he's in. And suddenly other people care about the crisis more than he does. It's like everyone's got their bucket. Hey, we better get rid of this stuff. And where's Jonah? Well, he's asleep. He's asleep. It's like people who don't know God care more than the prophet does. You're going to help us. You're going to help us. And it's an extraordinary thing this can happen, you know. You can find the world cares about, what about binge drinking? Our teenagers, we've got to do something. What about the drug culture? And sometimes you can find people who want to do good start things. They start programs and they say to the church, do you want to help us, church? When we're doing something, you'll do gooders, aren't you? It's like they're carrying the thing. Where are you? And we can find ourselves kind of out of step. And then we get this, to be honest, this wonderful, wonderful turning point. I'm a Hebrew. I mean, who are you? What are you doing here? I'm a Hebrew. See, until this point, it's like Jesus said this, if the salt has lost its savour, it's good for nothing. That's a scary phrase. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has no flavour, it's no good. It's a waste of space. And they're waking him up. Who are you? Who are you? Where are you from? People are calling on their gods. What about you? And he wakes up to who he is. And I know for myself, when I became a Christian, I, I did the thing that is you know, very popular. I asked Jesus into my heart. It's a little phrase we've invented. I just said, come into my heart. My sister got saved. My parents were not Christian. I had no Christian upbringing at all. I never saw an open Bible in my home. I never had a Bible read to me or anything like that. I didn't know anything. And my sister went to London. We lived in Brighton. And she came home one weekend and said, I've become a Christian. I said, what do you mean become a Christian? What does that mean? She said, I've been born again. I said, what are you talking about? What's born again? Never heard such stuff. And then she's talking to me as the evening goes on. And I can see this, you know, this is my sister. She's radically changed. She, she says things like, you can know all your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus died for. And he's alive again. And you can know him. You can know you're going to heaven. I've never heard anybody talk like it before. And it, I can see it's real. And there come a moment in the conversation when I said, why hasn't anybody told me this before? And I knelt down and asked Jesus into my heart. And I kind of meant it. Got baptised. Went to All Souls Langham Place. John Stott preached the gospel. Went forward. Shook the great man's hand. You know, I meant it. I meant it. But actually nothing much changed. 
I was still with my old pals, doing my old stuff, using the old language. I remember once I was out with them on a Saturday night. I was always in church on Sunday morning, but I was out with them in Brighton on a Saturday night. I remember walking down the town, as we often did, going on a bit of a pub crawl. And there's a young man about my age, he's standing on the corner, and he's, he's giving out bits of... I thought, what's that? And he said, it's about Jesus, sir. And I said, thank you. I thought, oh, God. It's about Jesus. What are you? I'm a Hebrew. I didn't say that, I just kept going. But that kind of, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then I'm in church on a Sunday morning. And a guy preached. It wasn't our usual pastor. It was a younger pastor who was standing in for him. And he just preached and it just got to me. It was about 600 people, quite a large Baptist church. And I, I felt like I was the only guy in the place. And he preached from verse in Galatians which says, You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? What happened? And I felt like God was in my face. Where are you? And I felt this. For, I, never, I mean, I tried repenting a few times. never worked for me. And that, that time, it was like God said to me, I want your life, and it's now or never. I mean, it was scary. It's now or never. I want your life. Have I got your life? You know you haven't got my I want your life. And it's now or never. And I just felt the urgency of God's call. It's like, I'm a Hebrew. What are you doing? Why are you, how are you living? And I went home that night, and I knelt by my bed, and I changed my life completely. I gave up all sorts of things. I started being an authentic Christian. I lost all my friends. Lost a fiancé. Lost everything, really. And uh, within a year, I was baptised in the Spirit. And with another year, I'd left secular work. I'm out living, serving God. I had no idea God had an adventure for me. I had no idea. I'm just a backslidden guy in my 20s. Just a waste of time. Just really causing shame. I said, I want your life and I want it now. And I said, Lord, you have it now. Have you done that yet? It's so different to asking Jesus into your heart. You're saying, Lord, you have it. You have it. And oh, it's just an amazing transformation. Went through a rather painful passage, <laughs> but came out. I could go and dance on my old grave now. It's like that person died. I think, Lord, you're so kind, you're so merciful, I'll never get over it. Are you living what God wants? You see, what can happen is you can start well. You can say, yes, Lord, I want, I want to live for you. And what happens, you're going down the road, as it were, as you're traveling along, you, know, you suddenly see something, you think, wow, I want that. I'm not sure that's where he's going. So say, I'll have the wheel now, Lord. <laughs> Excuse me, I want the wheel. I'm taking over now. Because, well, I think you might not. I want that. I'm, not, I'm having that. I'm having him, I'm having her, I'm having that job, I'm having that whatever. I want it, and I'm not sure you want it, but I want it. And then we do that a few times, and then we've forgotten what it's like to have Jesus at the wheel. 
we're in the car. But it's not like in the presence. It's not like face to face anymore. It's not like it used to be. Is that how it is for you tonight, beloved? It's not like it used to be. It's not the best for you. It's not what he wants for you. And the word came to him. And I I love the story as it goes on. The word came a second time to Jonah. I love that. Do you know the Bible's full of that? It's full of that. It's actually it's, it's, it's the big overarching theme of the whole Bible. The word comes again. Came to Simon Peter when he'd blown it. I'm not with him. I don't know him. And Jesus comes and finds him on a beach. Makes breakfast for him. Do you love me? The word of the Lord came to Peter again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. The word of the Lord comes to us again. Came to Jonah a second time. And it's the same word. Let's just take note. It's the same word. It's not like, okay, I I see you can't do that. We'll drop to this. That is not it. This is the word. I want you to do it. That's how it works. He's the king. We're not. He's the Lord. We're not. He's in charge. We're not. And so he doesn't say, okay, you messed up. I'll give you another word down here. No, the same word came to him a second time. And then it says this, and Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. I love that. He did exactly, he did exactly, exactly what was required. He really fulfilled his calling. It's not like Simon Peter. You know, Simon Peter gets mercy. I mean, he's a terrible, he's supposed to be the kind of spokesman apostle. And he says, I'm not with him, I don't know him. Talk about salt lost its savour. I mean, he's just useless. I'm not with him, I'm not with him. Even after he'd been warned. Then Jesus has a meeting with him on that, that wonderful breakfast morning. Do you love me? Lord, you know. Do you love me? Lord, you know. Right, feed my sheep. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. So on the day of Pentecost, it's not Simon Peter's at the back of the, back of the crowd and um, saying, go on, James, sock it to him. You know, thanks for mercy, Lord, but I know, hey, we've forgotten, blown all that. James, go on, preach it. I'm for you. No, no, no. Peter, standing with the eleven. Peter's there. Peter's preaching. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised up, whereof we're witnesses. I mean, Jesus knows how to restore people. He knows how to restore people. Isn't that good news? Oh, that is such good news. It's a word as it used to be. You're back to where you were. Nothing's lost. You're back to where you were. We go according to the word. We go with him. We go into what God has for us. Hallelujah. Let me just show you one more thing before we finish. What should we do with you? That's what they asked him. I said at the beginning that uh, Jesus referred to Jonah in the Gospels. What did he say? He said this, one greater than Jonah is here. What does he mean? There's something about Jonah. Jesus is drawing. Someone better than Jonah. What do you mean? Well, it's interesting that that, that Jonah kind of gave himself over. That's a phrase you'll find often in the New Testament. 
Jesus was handed over to the high priest, was handed over to the soldiers, handed over to Pilate. Over the top of it all, it says this, God did not spare his own son, but handed him over. We're in such a storm. We're in such a mess. Jesus says this, throw me into the storm. You go free. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life for many. I came to pay the price. I came to take your place. I came to suffer. You go free. You go free. And Jonah's like that. Jonah's like, I throw me in. And this is the peace. And beloved, when we've lost our way, whether we've even maybe never come to Christ before, someone's brought us along tonight. Maybe you've never ever come to Christ before. It's not we have to get good enough for God. It's not like, I better go to the gym. Or before I go to the gym, I better get myself looking better. People think that, I'll go to church, but I better improve myself first. No, church is for people who can't improve themselves. They need Jesus. And Jesus pays the full price for us. And if we're Christians, a bit like Jonah, yeah, he's a follower of God, but he's forgotten who he is. And Jesus said, come on, I want you back. And I'll pay the bill. I'll pay the bill. Throw me in. You go free. You're totally accepted. You're forgiven. It's all over. It's okay. I'll take your place. I take the punishment. You go free. But I want you back. I want you back. I want you where you really belong. I want you in face-to-face fellowship again. I want you hearing my voice again. I want you as my representative again. I want to restore you to all that I want you to be. Let's stand to pray. Just come to God. Maybe you want to say to God, Lord, I'm sorry I've drifted. I'm not all that I want to be myself. Why don't you just whisper to him in your heart? Lord, I've made choices. I've gone off on my own. And you've got something better for me. You're worthy of something better from me. You really are worthy of something better. And tonight I want to give you back I want to do what you said. I don't want to keep backing off these very clear instructions that you give me. I don't want to keep ignoring your word that comes to me. I want to do it your way. But I need your help, Lord. I need your help. Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name, that you just release us to respond to you. Release us to renew face-to-face fellowship with you. Get us back on course, Lord. Even if we only drifted off a little. Even if we're just, out, we're just a little bit out of step. But if we keep going down this path, where will we be in a year? 
We want to be right in step with the Spirit. So Lord, we just come to you. Beloved, if you know, if you know God's spoken to you tonight, why don't you just slip forward and let's pray for you. Just slip out of your row right now and let's come to Jesus. Let's come to him afresh. Will you do that now? Just come. Will the musicians come as well, please? Let's just come. We're going to sing, but don't wait for the song. Just come. Let's come to the Lord and renew our devotion. It says they paid their vows. Sometimes we say things to God when we're in a tough scene. We say, Lord, if you get me out of this, but we don't pay our vows. We make promises, but we don't see them through. And God's saying, come on, I want your life. If God's spoken to you. Don't hold back. That's right, just come. And if there's ministry people, do you call the ministry team? Would you ministry team, would you come too? And just pair up with these who are coming. Let's try not to block the aisles. Just come away from the aisles. That's right, it's really good. Guys with guys, girls with girls. Let's just come. Thank you, Jesus.